0: All right, so Haggai is only two chapters long. Before you get too excited, I have eight pages of notes that we have to get through um, today. I don't get to, uh, to be up here too often, so I've got to use my time. So um, as I was preparing for this week, there's one question that I was convicted of that I kept on coming back to, and it's, um, am I living for God or am I living for myself? It's a question that I want us to ask ourselves today. If you guys were to follow me around this past week, would you say, if you had to report back to me at the end of the week, um, yes, you lived for God this week, or no, you lived for yourself um, this week. And um, as I was reading through Haggai and the message that Haggai has to his people, um, I was convicted that I live for myself most of the time. An um, An example. Um, when I get home from work, it's my favorite time. I get to hang out with the boys. We get to wrestle. We get to go to the park. We get to just hang out. get to spend time with Chelsea. We're getting dinner together. Then we start bedtime routine. Once they go to sleep, then it's my time. <laughs> then I get to go to the couch. I get to rest. I get to you know watch a show, watch a sporting event, whatever's on. That's my time. That would be an example of me living for myself. If I were living for God with my time, I would take advantage of those hours that I have with Chelsea to, hey, let's open up the word of God. Let's look and see what God is saying to us today as we parent. Um, how was your day? Check in with her. Um, spend time in prayer for the day that lies ahead um, tomorrow. So I was convicted that um, I have been living for myself. And for me, the main area is my time. Um, just, just as I was preparing for this sermon, it was a struggle. The NBA um, games were on. They usually come on around nine o'clock, which is my peak, my time. Um, and so I had to like, you know, turn that off, lay my cell phone in the other room so that I could sit down at the kitchen table and, and be focused and to think out points for um, today. Um, next week, what is it going to be like? I'm not preparing for a sermon next week. It's going to be easy for me to say, hey, you know what, I, I, I did that last week. I get off this week. I'm going to sit down and watch a game. Now, there's nothing wrong. I don't want you to think there's nothing wrong with watching an NBA game. But when that comes before my time with God, that's the disobedience. And we'll see that um, in Haggai today. So Haggai has a word um, for us today. As you reflect on yourself, um, are you living for yourself or are you living for God with your money and the way you talk? Um, Is it easy for us to be selfish? I don't have to teach Bronston Um, to live for himself. That's just, that's our innate behavior. He's not going to share with Silas. I have to teach him to share. He's not going to, um, he's not going to, you know, obey. He's going to fight that off. I have to teach him to live um, for God and not to live for himself. I asked him that question this morning. I said, Bronson, who do you live for? Do you live for for yourself or do you live for God? And he said, myself. (laughs) It started like he already, like he just, he knows, like that's the behavior that is in all of us. And so I want to challenge us to see to be made aware of how we are living for ourselves and then how we can respond and start living um, for God. So, before we dive into the text, let me just pray um, for God to give me words to speak, for God to open up our eyes um, through Haggai. So, God, help us to examine our lives, um, help us to reflect and to review and to determine if we are living for you or if we are living for um, ourselves. Help us to respond in obedience, help us to fear you. Help us to get to work, um, because there will be rejoicing when we live a life that's all about you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. Did you guys find Haggai? It's a small book. Um, It's only two chapters long, towards the end of the Old Testament. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 to start us off. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. It's a lot of names. It's a lot of people. We'll kind of walk through who they are and why they're important um, throughout the, this morning. Um, so here's the message that Haggai says. Um, Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to drill in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns rages does, not, does so to put them in a bag with holes." So, to understand what's going on here, let's go through some background. Um, Don't don't just sleep through this. I know some of you know history, odds, whatever. I don't want to go through a school lesson. But this is important to learn the context of Haggai. We need to know the background. So, in 538 B.C., King Darius, who we were introduced to in this text, he made a decree that said the people can return to Jerusalem. So, what's going on is, it may be kind of hard to see, but you have this... Big green area, the big outside green area is where the people lived before exile. Babylon comes to power. They wipe all this land out, all of this, destroy the, 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 um, the walls around the city, destroy the temple. Everything is destroyed. The people go into exile. King Darius comes to power. He says, you know what? You guys, you guys can go back home. So this energizes the people. 50,000 people returned home. And their urgent concern, their biggest priority, was to rebuild the temple. And then this is um, kind of a schematic of what the temple is. The height of this porch is 90 feet. That's the only dimension that we come from the Bible. Um, But that was what they wanted to do first. Why? Because that's where God dwelled. That was the presence of God in the Old Testament. And then they wanted to make altars um, to sacrifice for their sin. This was number one priority. So they started to do it. They built the foundation up. They had a party. They blew trumpets. The people around this land saw what was going on and was like, hold on. These guys are starting to get pretty strong again. There's 50,000 of them. If they get back and God is with them, we better watch out. And so they go back to the king and says, hey, you may want to stop this from happening. This isn't going to be good for our power. And so the king's like, you know what? You're right. Guys, stop working on the temple. And so they waited. They stopped. 16 years go by. And that's where Haggai comes to the people today. And he says, hey, why have you stopped? Why are you saying the time is not yet to build up the temple? The people are saying time's not yet come. Um, It's time for you guys to live in your houses and to make them comfortable while the temple lies in ruins. Consider your ways. And so I want to check out three ways that Haggai points out um, that the people of Israel are living for themselves. The people of Israel are living for themselves. Um, it's kind of a reflect on your life. Um, and so the first part that he says in verse two, the people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Um, you see, the people are putting off obedience to God. They are living in disobedience, saying, God, time's not yet. We don't want to work yet. We don't want to build the temple we are still gonna live in our disobedience. And it's kinda of like um, Bronston getting ready um, for bedtime. He's, he's smart, he knows how to delay bedtime. All right, so we have a routine that we have to do. It takes like, it feels like 10 hours. As soon as I get home from work, I might as well start getting Bronston ready for bed because it is a process, because he's delaying it. Not yet, Dad. I don't wanna to go to sleep yet. I have to do this first. And so first, um, we'll get to this picture. This is towards the end of the night. So first, got to get a bath, which is good. we got to calm down. Let's get a bath, get pajamas on, brush your teeth. And then we got to go get Silas to bed. He's easy. We read him a book, give him a kiss, lay him in his crib, cries for a little bit, he'll fall asleep. Poor guy, he doesn't get the treatment that Bronson gets. We go in the Bronson's room. Chelsea has to read him a book. It's got to be a certain book. If it's the book you didn't want, we got to read it again. I have to tell him a story. If I make the story too short, dad, that wasn't a long story. i got to add some more parts to the story. We get finished with the story. Then we say prayers. But if I don't ask him what he wants to pray for, he's got to go first. And then Chelsea says what she wants to pray for, and then we pray. If I start to pray without us holding hands, we've got to do it all over again. So we got to hold hands, put the hands in the middle, we pray. All right, you think that would be it? No. we got to do this. He's got to get out of bed. First, he's got to turn off his nightlight. His little, he's got to make it dark. He's got to turn on his sound machine. It comes up yellow. If it doesn't come up yellow, we've got to fix that. He Turns on sound. sound. Everything has got to be lined up. Gets back in bed. All right, Bronston, it's time to go to bed. Good night. Uh, I've got to tell you guys some jokes. Every night before we go to bed, he's got to tell us jokes. Two jokes each. Chelsea gets two jokes. I get two jokes. Same jokes every night. we still got to laugh. They're hilarious. Great jokes. Um, after that, all right, Bronston, we love you. Uh, I have some questions. Are there any bad guys out there? Camden and I want to thank you guys for that. When you guys play the game with bad guys, Bronston now thinks there's bad guys out there. So we got to say, no, buddy, you're, you're all right. Um, um, is there is it it's thunderstorming, raining, whatever? You get, you get my point? It is a process. We close the door, and now Bronston starts to follow us down the steps. He waits till we get to the bottom. He's like, all right, I got to blow you a kiss. Then he goes finally back to bed. It's a lot. I'm not ready to go to bed yet, Dad. I want to push it off. I'm pushing it off. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. We do that to God. God is telling us to do a certain thing. Not yet, God. Sixteen years The people are saying, not yet. Not yet. We want to, we got to get our homes fixed first. We just got to this new land. Let's fix our houses. Let's make them paneled houses. Let's make them comfortable living. We'll work on the temple later, later, later. God says, consider your ways. These people say the time has not yet come. Um, what are we pushing off? What are we delaying? Um, so as we reflect on your life, is there anything that you're putting off? In verse 4, kind of the next thing to reflect on, um, he says, is it time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? If you look in verse 9, um, he says, because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with your own house. Um now, I want to be careful. Jesus is not condemning comfortable living. I don't want you to think, well, I have a nice house. Does that mean I'm automatically, like, you know, disobeying God? Nothing wrong with that. If, you, if God has blessed you with resources, use it. He's not condemning comfortable living. He's condemning comfortable living at the expense of obedience to God. An example. Um, during COVID, I've had a lot more time at home. I was able to work from home. And so we, like, hey, what's something we want to work on in the house? It was our kitchen. I don't know if some of you guys have been to our kitchen before we painted it. It was a. It was almost like your shirt, Donovan. A very ugly. Not, not no offense. To, <laughs> no offense to your shirt. Your shirt looks great on you, on on a kitchen cabinet. Not so much. It was. Oh gosh, I gotta back up. Uh, so we decided to paint them white. White's the new thing. White is in. We needed to paint them white. So that took all of our time. The next so many weeks, what was I doing after the boys went to bed? Painting cabinets. I needed two coats. There was, was a lot of green on there. It's the color green in general that I just, I just can't get by. And so we're painting. Now, was there anything wrong with me wanting to paint the cabinets? No. What was wrong with it is how every minute I had, I was painting. Again, it goes back to my I'm living for myself. I'm living for me time instead of taking the time off to, hey, Chels, how was your day today? Not that we I don't want you to think we didn't talk, but to actually, like hey, let's turn off the TV. Let's sit down at the table and talk. Let's open up the word of God. Let's pray together. You see you see what I'm getting at? It's not he's not condemning comfortable living. Um, he's condemning disobedience. And so um, what you guys know, whenever you start a project, it's not just one thing. So once I painted, now what's next is we got to replace our countertops. And then we got to, now I'm working on backsplash. And so now it's turned into an excuse of, hey, Chelsea, why, can we like have our, you know, our neighbors over for a meal? Not yet. It's still a construction zone. You know, it's just not, it's not there yet. We have, you know, our drywall showing. Let's get that done yet. So now it's turned into, okay, God is telling me to tell my neighbors about Christ. Not yet, God. I have to finish this kitchen. So that, nothing wrong with us fixing up our kitchen. If, if we were in debt and had no money and we're not faithful with our resources, then there's something wrong with me spending money on fixing up our kitchen. But because we have saved, that's our project for the year, we're still faithful with our resources, it's okay to do that as long as it doesn't take away from obedience to God. So reflect on your life. Consider your ways. Um, where are we spending our resources, money, and time? Uh, last thing, uh, as we reflect on our life is in uh, verse six. Let's, let me read that. Um, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns rages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Isn't this life sometimes? You just feel like you work and you toil and there's nothing to show for it. You keep working and, um, we we eat, but we're not full, and we we sow, and there's nothing there, and we, we we have money that just seems like it's empty pockets, and and I know it's funny when you know as kids get older, it's gonna really hit me when you know Bronson's asking for this and this and this, but the, life can be empty when you live for yourself. Life can be empty with no purpose. You wake up, we um, I, you probably don't have most of you probably don't have time for breakfast, but you wake up, you get out the door, you got to get to work, You get home from work. You get some family time, get some me time. You get dinner, you go to bed. What do you do the next day? You wake up and repeat. And you get, we get stuck in this cycle of just empty living. And God is saying, stop living for yourself. Wake up, obey, live for me. And God will give you purpose. And God will give you passion. When you live outside of God's plan, it's empty living. Um, we went to a pumpkin patch on Friday. Was it Friday? And um, it's a lot of fun. At the end of this uh, pumpkin patch, there's a huge corn maze. Our mistake was letting Bronston decide which way to go. So we'd get up to a corner in the road. Bronston would say, he'd sit there. He'd really think about it. Say, let's go this way. All right. So we just let him, you know, kind of lead the way. We get back into the back of it. And I know we'll just start going in circles. He's just pointing like, uh, he will get back to the beginning of it. It's like, well, this looks new. Even though we went around this way, now we have to go around it this way. It's different. So now we start going around this way. Eventually, Chelsea and I were like, we got to get out of here. Let's just help him, guide him to just get back to the beginning. Because now I'm turned around. I have no idea where music's coming from to try to say, hey, find the music. Let's just get out of here. Silas is just like, he's on my shoulders. I'm, I'm getting fatigued. And so we decided, hey, let's just get back to the start. So we know, all right, we came this way. This looks, let's go this way. So people are coming by us. We're like, hey, keep going that way. We're just trying to get out of here. And we get back out to the start. And process like, we made it. We did it. We, you know, he, he was like so proud of himself for picking the right ways. And sometimes that's life. We keep going in circles and we get stuck. And sometimes we're just back, we feel like, at the beginning of where we started. And there's no growth. We don't get to see the end. We're just back here at our start. And so what God is saying is, hey, you got to get your attention off of yourself. People of Jerusalem, you got to get your attention off of yourself, and you have to live for me. Consider your ways. And so a verse that helps with this, um, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, should be on the screen. I'm going to read it. Um, There's a lot of stuff in here of things that we live for. But understand this, that in the last days... There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of who? Of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. We need to get Bronston in here to show them this. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's, that's big. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Um, you have to examine yourself. You have to consider your ways. For me, it's my time. What am I doing with my time? I feel like I deserve two hours for me time. Well, what makes me time so important is, is what we... When I go through that and I get through a night and I just watch a game or I just watch, we watch a show on Netflix, we're not filling each other up. It doesn't make life the next day any easier. That's time that's just wasted. And so if I really wanted to live life to the fullest and have me time that was worth it, that wasn't like a corn maze going in circles, I would make it about God. I would feel so much more refreshed. Our marriage would be so much better. Our parenting would be so much better. My life at work the next day would be so much better if I focused on God and spent that time with him. And so what is it for you? Is it your money? Is it your um, resources? Is it your obedience? Whatever is in this list. Um, And it changes constantly. That was this past week I was convicted of these things. Next week it's going to be something else. And we constantly have to be made aware of how we're living for self. So now what? I don't want to just end there. Because a lot of times we have this message and the prophet. a prophet comes and says, you guys got to do this. And the people continue in sin. And there's no change. The awesome part about this book is the people responded. So this is what Haggai tells the people. Um, In verse 8, he says, uh, Go and build the house, build the temple. Um, This is God speaking through Haggai. That God, that I may take pleasure in it, and that God may be glorified. And so we're going to see three responses that the people do. If you want to start living for God, and not for yourself. Here's three ways. This is an exhausted list. This is just using the book of Haggai to encourage us today. Three ways that we can live um, for God. Number one is the people obeyed. Um, in verse chapter 1, verse 12, we say that we see that the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God in the words of Haggai. You see, the people became aware of their disobedience and it changed their heart. We heard, ben talked a lot about repentance last week where a changed heart equals changed behavior. And so Haggai came with this message um, of, hey, consider your ways. Why are you guys saying now is not not the time? And they considered their ways, and they just obeyed. They had a change of heart, so they changed um, their behavior. And so God is not telling us today to go and build a temple. What is God telling us to do today that we can obey? I have two verses um, that I want us to look at. Romans 10 14 through 17 I'm going to look through I'm going to look at that one it should be on the screen um, as well so Romans 10 what is God asking us to obey in verse 14 of Romans 10 uh, I'll start to read through uh, 17 how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? The first thing and the most important thing is that you must obey the gospel. It's not enough to just sit and listen to the gospel. You must respond and put your trust in him. What is the gospel? God has come. He sent his son to live on earth, and he lived a perfect life. He was perfectly obedient, obedient even to the point of death on the cross. The cross wasn't the end. Death was not the end. He rose up. He was buried for three days. He rose up, and he's alive, and he lives, and he's alive in us today. So some people are going to hear that. Okay, that doesn't That's not obedience. Obedience is, okay. I need to listen to that. It needs to change my heart and I need to obey the gospel. I need to respond and put my trust in him. Like, I believe that is real. I believe that happened. I want to live a life um, about the gospel. So the first thing, the most important thing before we try to obey anything else is the obedience to the gospel. When the gospel is proclaimed, yes, you can listen, but you have to respond and put your trust in him. Uh, the second thing that we get from this text, for those of us that have heard the, heard the gospel and responded, is what are we doing with it? How are people going to hear the gospel unless we go? How are we going to go and how are they going to hear it unless we preach? And so you see this, this lineage of, of stuff that happens. And so um, you have to believe the gospel, and then, if you, um, and then you have to hear it, and someone has to preach it, and you have to be sent. And so are you going and preaching the gospel? Are you being sent out to go and tell people about the gospel? Are we obedient in that? God has said, go and tell people about the gospel. Who have we told? Who have you told about Jesus this past week? That's tough. That's tough for me. I had an opportunity at work to tell one of my co-workers about Christ. We were talking about how we both landed here at this work, about a job that we had. He's like, man, it's crazy. All this stuff had to fall into place for me to be here. Why didn't I speak up and say, you know what? God put you here for a reason. Go into the gospel. I didn't take advantage of that. How many people, how how many people have we told about Jesus? Um, If we're obedient to him, if we're living a life um, all about God, we should be open to opportunities like that um, about the gospel. Uh, The second verse that I want us to look at with just some steps that we can be obedient is in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 22 uh, starts in verse 37. A lot of you guys um, are aware of this verse. I'm just a reminder. And he said to them, starting in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of of your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor neighbor as yourself. Um, Are we obedient to that verse? Do you love God with everything you have? If yes, then you should be loving others with everything you have. And this is the time that we need to be um, shining a light in that area. It's a very divisive time. People are hurting. Are you loving others? And we need to be obedient um, in that. I love um, this example. At the beginning of COVID, um, it was just a, I mean, just a, everyone was just scared. It was just a, a very weird time. And we couldn't just go next door to check on people. We couldn't check in with a lot of you guys. A lot of it was Zoom calls. And we were trying to be creative with ways of how we can love others. Well, Chelsea did. Um, I don't know how it all works. I don't know if it was PayPal or something, but she sent money like through a gift card to healthcare workers that she knew through church or whatever. Hey, we love you. We're praying for you. Thank you for everything that you're doing. That's the way that we need to love others. Are you guys loving others? Get your focus off of yourself and turn it to God. Um, so some things that we can be obedient. Um, you must obey the gospel. You have to go and tell people about Jesus, um, because when you love God, you must love others. Um, so, what is your response? I I pray that this is one of obedience. So that's number one. The people obeyed. Um, number two that we can look at is the people feared God. This is Haggai, one twelve part B. Um, so as you keep reading on, they obeyed the voice of the Lord. Lord, and the people feared the Lord. In part two, now this isn't talking about I'm scared of God. And this um, I keep on thinking back to Halloween. When uh, Chelsea and I, we went down to Mark's house and, uh, and Vicky's on 41st Street, and they closed down the street. It's the best place to be on Halloween. They close it down. People are walking, you know, in the streets on both sides. They have a haunted house. Well, m- most of you guys know Sean. It doesn't take much for him to be, you know, kind of intimidating. And, you know, he, I, like I could see Bronston walking down, you know, on Halloween, being like, yeah, that, that guy's kind of scary. What added matters worse, Sean decided, and Mark, they got out their uh, chainsaws. They took the chains off the chainsaw, but to a little boy, they don't know that. And so they're just revving it up and doing it. So we, I just kind of sat back and we watched. And this group of boys come walking down the street. And I see Sean just kind of hiding. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> and and they, he starts it up, and the kids just scream and repeat. They say stuff that I can't really repeat. And they they go to the other side. They're like, all right, we're walking over here now. This is not the kind of fear that that we experience with God. God's not here to scare us, to to get a specific action. He's not saying, hey, you guys got to be so scared of me that you need to go and do this. That it, That's not the fear we're talking about. The fear that we're talking about is to realize, to be aware, to be amazed by the character of God, that it leads to worship and obedience and submission. We went to um, the beach this year. It was the first time. And the experience, Silas and Bronson seen the beach for the first time. There's nothing like it. We walk up um, over kind of the sand dune for Silas when he saw it, and he just starts saying, wow. He's just looking. like It just keeps going. And every time he'd say, beach, wow. And that type of awe is how we should approach God. Um, Bronson, we, we went down one day, and Chelsea was like, hey, Bronston, can you um, pick up and hold the whole ocean you know, in your hands? And you know, he tried. <laughs> and I was like, nope, can't do it. And we see verses um, in Jeremiah 5:22. Um, That says, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. We see in Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span. We can't do that. We could, we could take everybody that's alive today, let's go down to the ocean and try to hold the water in our hands, and we couldn't do that. God can do that. God created, God is sovereign, and in control. That should create a fear of all. When you, <clears throat> when you realize this about God, how can we live for ourselves? We are so infinite. We are so finite. God is infinite. We are so small. God is big. And so, how does this, how does this, how can we go on living for ourselves when we are, we, when we should fear God and the bigness of God? Um, we are small, we are weak. We should respond um, to live for God. A life lived for God is one that fears God. Third and uh, final thing that we see as a response is um, the people worked. They didn't just hear all this stuff, they didn't just, um, they didn't just obey God and fear him. They went to work. Um, and so that picks up in verse um, 14. It goes through um, all the names. And this is, this is a point. I'm not going to spend much time on this, um, but it starts with, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, who's the, kind of the leader of Israel at this time, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, who's like the high priest to the people. What did this change start with? It started with the leadership. It started with the leaders of these people. Like they're not standing back, saying, "Yeah, you guys (laughs) need to get to work. Um, You guys go ahead and do it." No, they led by example. And um, just on a side note, our church is blessed with a leader who works. If there's anything that's going on up here, uh, I came up one weekend and Mark and Sean, or Mark and Ben, were up in the up above our attic here fixing a hole where squirrels had gotten into. Like, our pastor is willing to work, and he's leading the way. Um, That's leadership. They came to work. And so um, how can we respond? If you want to live a life focused on God, um, we have to get to work. Um, When God works in your heart, your hands have to get to work. A changed heart leads to changed behavior. And so um, this isn't about trying harder. This isn't about, man... I better, um, you know, lace up my boots really tight and I got to get to work and I got to do all these things because the people tried to do that. You see in chapter two, um, they start to question this like who um, how did how do we see this now? This is nothing in our eyes. Um, They were comparing the temple that was just the foundation still in ruins. This is not not going to be like the previous temple. Why are we doing this? And God says, hey, you know, you need to be strong. Work for I am with you. And so this work is a work that God is, is, is with us. And so when you think about your life, it's going to take some work for me to um, get off of the couch and read the Bible and have discussion with Chelsea on, on just, and just praying with her. It's going to take some work as a dad to father the boys in a way that's not, man, you guys need a lot. I just want to sit back and watch a game for a few minutes. Just can you guys go play? It's going to take some work to get down and, and play and to teach them some things. It's going to take some work to lead my family, to pray with my family. Um, guys, it's going to take some work for us to spend more time with God than we spend playing video games. It's going to take some work not to be self selfish. It's going to take some work before we want to see justice happen. Justice isn't just going to happen. We can't just say we're, we're, we're learning and we're listening. Yes, but we got to get our hands dirty and we got to do some work. Um, same thing with our church. If we are going to make a difference in our city, we must get to work. Um, this week, Ben sent out an email to some of the guys on leadership team with a plan, a reading plan to finish out this year. It's just going through reading um, the same book of the Bible for the whole month. So we'd read a chapter, and the point of that is is we've got to work. We've got to get into God's Word daily. We have to read and learn so that we'll be ready to go um, and when we start the new year. We're rolling out. We're thinking of some things as a leadership team. Um, of how we can get to work in our city. Um, We want to be a a church that's focused on meeting people's needs and telling people about Jesus. So I came across um, an article this week that um, was about, um, I I forget how how old she was, but she was eight months pregnant, homeless. She had worked over um, in Cincinnati and um, lost her job. She was like being a waitress and she couldn't get the self-employment or the unemployment stuff just wasn't it, it, there was something that was, anyway, she was homeless. She was eight months um, pregnant. She was sleeping in a garage here in Covington. Had no idea. We had, I had no idea that this was going on. Another church saw the article or somehow was connected, and they decided to um, you know, help out. They got them a place for temporary. and she was living with her boyfriend, homeless. Um, they got them a place to live. The baby's born and is healthy, and they're going through some things. Like, now we need to help this um, young lady. What does it mean to be a mom? Um, so it's it's that kind of stuff like our church needs to get to work we need to realize needs in our city our city is big and it's going to take a lot of us working to make a difference but it takes one person at a time one thing at a time recharge we just started that back up it takes some work there's some planning that went into that we had to figure out um, you know some meals and rides and how do we do this social distancing Um, but it'll be worth it if the students that came heard the gospel and responded and their lives are forever changed. Because those students live in all different places in Covington. We changed one student's life. Hopefully they change their family's life. That changes their neighbors. That's how we reach Covington. And so stuff's going to take work. If you guys want to see change, if you want to spread the gospel, you have to be willing um, to work. We have to focus on meeting needs and sharing the gospel. Um, And so if we're going to live for God, you must respond. You got to be willing to obey him when he called us to love him with everything we have and to love others, you got to fear him because when, when you think about the bigness of God, it gets your focus off of yourself and then you have to get to work. Um, we have to work with each other, um, sharing the love of, of God. And so I want to close with um, some encouragement. What? How does this book end? Um, some encouragement, some rejoicing for those that, live a life all about God um, the first one that I want to talk about is how a greater temple has come so Haggai uh, chapter 2 verse 9 and it talks about the latter glory of this house so pointing to a, a later temple shall be greater than the first says the Lord of hosts and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord let's flip over to Matthew twelve 6 um, I'll flip over and read that I don't think I, ha- I don't have this one I'm on the screen. So in Matthew 12, verse six, um, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And that's Jesus. I'm talking about himself. And, and so the greater temple has come. We um, have access to God because of this. We can rejoice knowing that we can be in the presence of God because a greater temple has come. And we no longer are separated by a veil. A veil. The veil was torn when Christ died on on the cross for us. Um, So we need to live for God because a greater day is coming when we see him face to face. A greater temple has come. Uh, The next thing that we can rejoice in, in Haggai, he repeats this self, Haggai, in um, chapter 2. and It keeps saying, from this day on, consider from this day on, he says again later in a few verses later. And then he ends chapter 2, verse um, 19 with, but from this day on and what this is saying is um, for 16 years the people had lived in their sin they had lived in disobedience God did not give up on them he's saying hey from this day on fear me obey me work so don't let whatever your past is keep you from living a life from this day on full of committed obedience to God whenever the devil tries to bring up your past and say, you're not worthy. Um, you can't do this. Um, just just live for yourself. It's OK. Remind him of his future because he will be defeated because a greater temple has come. And Christ is here and he is with you. And so rejoice because there's hope from this day on. God is with us. Um, and then the, the last thing with rejoice is God will bless you. We talked about um, in verse in the earlier verses, how life just feels empty. You work and there's nothing to show for it. And, um, you just feel empty in what God is, is saying here as he, as they finish up, um, the temple is from this day on, I will bless you. Now it doesn't mean, um, he's going to bless you with a ton of money and just a perfect life. No, life's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable at times, but he will bless you with a life that glorifies God, that has purpose, that has meaning and that is full. You will have life abundance. Um, to that And so just to close, you guys remember the name uh, Zerubbabel? Uh, it's, it's a tough name for me. So look in Matthew and what happens here in Matthew 1. When we start learning about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, so you start with um, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, some names that you guys know. We start reading on in verse 12, it picks up. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jokaniah, the father who was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father, father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of, Ab- I'm not going to keep going because the names get harder, um, but they, you, you see that.